Meredith and I had something of a flashback to the bad old days of last school year when we looked at the calendar for November because the kids had two days off this week for Veterans Day, then all next week is minimum days because of parent-teacher conferences, and then the whole next week is off completely because of Thanksgiving. After just getting used to having the reliability of, you know, a work day again, now we're back to having to be in what was COVID mode to deal with the disruption of kids underfoot. At least now, though, we know that it'll go back to normal again in December, at least until Christmas break starts, that is. It sounds silly to say this because it's so very obvious when you think about it at all, Um, so it really just reflects poorly on me more than anything, but one thing I was very much not prepared for in having kids was the disruption of it all. I did not realize the extent to which I had my routine that I wanted to stick to and do my own thing until there was a kid in the mix preventing me from having my routine that I could just stick to when I couldn't just do my own thing anymore because there was this helpless human relying on me. I know. It's like, uh, yeah, Curtis, that's, that's kind of the deal. But my 29-year-old self had very much not fully comprehended that dynamic I'm not sure my 37-year-old self has fully come to terms with it, honestly, when I see some of how I reacted to these past few schoolless days. Because months like November, years like last year, that sense of resentment at the disruption of it all still shows up for me. There have been countless times over the past almost nine years now that Meredith and I have wondered how on earth single parents do it when the disruption level is doubled because the responsibility is all on you And Meredith and I are barely holding it together as it is sometimes. Dealing with parenting elementary school-aged kids is, of course, just one of many ways that these past couple years have been a disruption from what had been normal, in quotes, life. We've all been muddling through, facing the same basic challenge, but at the same time not the same challenge, because the burden fell differently and uniquely on each age group, family, profession, We could all tell slightly different stories of how COVID has disrupted our lives, our plans, our daily rhythms, and that disruption has led up in some ways, but not in others, as 2021 has stretched on and now starts to come to its close. In many ways, though, I think the past two years have been more an intensifier than something entirely new. We've already lived in a world of disruptions constantly surrounded by obligations, responsibilities, distractions, and we will live in a world like that if life ever goes back to normal. That's what normal life already was and will be. Normal life is us going about our days with maybe a vision of what we want life to be or to feel like, how we'd like to spend our days, what values we would like to be true of us, how we want our families to feel, our jobs to feel, who we want to be. And then being disrupted from that, whether by kids or coworkers or time pressure or anxiety or COVID or financial realities or the quicksand of social media or any of the millions of disruptions that swirl all around us. And I'd like to pause there for a minute, actually, and give you a chance to think about how this plays out for you. Spend the next minute or two reflecting on this prompt, jotting down some thoughts if it's helpful. You can pause the podcast to do this. But here's the prompt. I would love for blank to be true about my normal life, but it seems like blank disrupts it. I would love for blank to be true about my normal life, but it seems like blank disrupts it. We'll jump back in a minute or so. 
I mentioned before, I think, that Meredith and I were invited a couple weeks ago to spend a couple days with a group of mostly pastors in a backyard in West Hollywood. And one of the themes that arose with many of them was a sense of them having a vision for how they wanted their churches to be, or how they wanted to operate as pastors within those churches, but that they felt like that vision was impossible because of the obstacles and disruptions that prevented that vision from being reality. Another theme that arose from that was that maybe quite a few of those disruptions and obstacles were self-imposed, and maybe they could choose to remove those disruptions if they wanted to. I think that's true more generally, that many of the disruptions that knock us off course in pursuing what we would like normal life to be are self-imposed, that we could choose something different if we really wanted to, something that might better allow us to experience normal life as we would like it to be. Not that it would be easy to make that choice by any means, but it would be possible. But then as we talked together in the backyard more in this backyard in West Hollywood, or it was kind of more of a swamp in West Hollywood actually because they were running the sprinklers way too much. But anyway, as we talked together, there was also an understanding that some of the disruptions aren't self-inflicted. That being the leader of a community of people means having certain responsibilities that don't always line up with you living your best life and following your bliss or whatever. That being a pastor means being a pastor for the actual people you're doing this thing with, not some idealized community of saints. I mean, Meredith and I don't feel that dichotomy, of course, because of course we've, we've got that idealized community of saints, but you know, other less fortunate pastors face this dilemma. And this too is true for all of us. Normal life disrupts us from what we wish normal life was like. So beyond the self-inflicted distractions and disruptions that we could do something about if we chose to, what do we do when the disruptions we can't control or opt out of get to be too much? Do we just try to survive, grit our teeth? Dare we ask where God is in the disruptions of normal life? Put differently, what does it mean for Jesus to be God with us in this real life we live. As we go through the Christmas story this year, we want to ask that question. In our real lives of anticipation, confusion, celebration, disruption, could we experience God with us in all of it? It was not an accident that in preparing this sermon, my mind went to the disruption presented by children, because today we're looking at the story of a young girl being visited by an angel. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. 
Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. However disrupted I felt when our kids were first born, I think it's safe to say it paled in comparison with the disruption the angel's message represented for Mary, a single girl in a traditional, highly patriarchal culture. What do we do when the disruption of life gets to that level? Because we know what it would be like, what it would feel like to face the level of disruption Mary is facing, even if ours is often less divinely ordained, shall we say. What do we do when what we are facing is just the cumulative effect of the constant disruptions of everyday life? I think the temptation we face often is to try and outrun the disruptions or just endure them or to distract ourselves from them with even more disruption. But those practices don't really get us where we want to go. We know that when we think about it. And they certainly don't offer us God's presence in the midst of our distracted, disrupted lives. Later in the story, we're told that Mary treasured up all these words and pondered them in her heart. And while I think we could go too far easily by getting way too specific about the exact thing this means that we should do in order to be just like Mary, I think there might even so be something here for us. One consistent spiritual practice, or maybe I should say kind of a family of spiritual practices that are kind of related to one another, that has shown up throughout the history of the church, even in times far less disrupted than our own, has been the importance of slowing, silence, solitude, meditation, quieting our minds and bodies and distracted, distracted, disrupted hearts. And I wonder if, when we're told about Mary pondering, if her reaction to the major disruption that had suddenly come upon her was in that same family of practice, to experience God with her by slowing. Because sometimes that's the best thing to do as the disruptions of real life ramp up, to intentionally call a timeout, recentering ourselves on the Jesus who offers us life. So Meredith is going to lead us in one form that this family of practices can take, one that we could use in this Christmas season, but also when normal life picks back up in January. So Meredith is going to lead us now in a time of centering prayer. As Mary receives the news from the angel, a baby born to you, Emmanuel, God with us, we have to also be mindful that this is a severe disruption. If God isn't in this, Mary's in a serious spot unwed, in an honor-shame culture, as a woman in the midst of patriarchy. Part of Mary's response to the disruption, Luke 2.19 says, Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. We also find our lives disrupted on the regular, and perhaps we also wonder if God is with us in the midst of those experiences. Mary can lead us to quieting ourselves. We may also call this practice centering prayer. It's one way to pray when we don't really have or want to use words. We simply want to know if God is in this. So here's how to begin. First, ground yourself in the present moment by using your senses. Sit comfortably. Take your shoes off and feel the floor. Name what you see, hear, smell, and feel. 
These are called grounding practices. And we've learned more and more from the psychological community about how they're really simple ways to use our external senses to help our internal nervous system recognize that we are safe. And realizing that our body is safe helps us then move to the idea that we are safe with God. Next, pick something that can be an anchor as you get ready to try and become more quiet. We're naturally going to find that our minds wander, that thoughts crop up, that anxieties surface. That's totally normal. And so you might pick one thing that you'll go back to as that comes up. It might be an image that you call to mind. It might be your own breath in and out. There are, after all, deep connections to the way the Genesis poet reminds us that God breathed life into us and us breathing as a way to remember that God is with us. Or it might be some words, just a few perhaps, something simple like, Jesus, you're here, that we can say when we find ourselves naturally wandering in our thoughts. So after you've had the chance to do some physical grounding with your senses, and you've picked an anchor for when you find yourself anxious or uncomfortable in the midst of practicing the quiet, then the final step is to simply be with God. You might set a timer for five minutes or maybe even 10. The hope is that this is a time that you just become increasingly quiet and still, enjoying that you are with God and God is with you. You don't need to say, do, or be anything other than yourself. It's a place to experience and ponder God's presence in the midst of the disruptions. Mary ponders. She quiets. And we don't know exactly what that meant for her. And that's not really the point. Because there are a whole bunch of different ways that quieting could look for us. Centering prayer is just one. But what Mary reminds us is that sometimes the way to experience God with us in disruption is to simply slow down and notice God is already here. And so may the grace, love, joy, peace, and presence of our God settle deep within you so that you know that in the midst of disruption, you are not alone. Amen.